Welcome back to Angels and Seer Stones, a podcast devoted to Latter-day Saint folklore and lived religion. I'm Chris. And I'm Christine. Today, we are discussing the practice of temple prayer circles held outside of the temple, an important part of LDS worship up until 1978. Latter-day Saints are a people of radical faith. We are a unique body of Bible-believing Christians. For us, the scriptural canon has been opened. The traditional sacraments have expanded. Our beliefs and practices are steeped in universalism, esotericism, and apocalypticism. The Latter-day Saint tradition is a religion in which angels visit everyday people, and sometimes men and women see the divine in stones. In this podcast, we examine the lived religion of Latter-day Saints, our beliefs, and our stories. We take seriously the whole gamut of Latter-day Saint experience. Join us, Christine and Chris Blythe two professional folklorists and Latter-day Saint converts as we openly discuss our faith while exploring the traditions of our chosen people. The prayer circle is a beautiful portion of Latter-day Saint temple worship, reminiscent of Levitical priests burning incense and praying before the veil in the ancient tabernacle. We come together and pray for the well-being of church leaders, the success of missionaries, and most importantly, we pray for a blessing on those whose names have been added to the temple rule. I'm a convert to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, joined two weeks before my 14th birthday. And I can remember the first year or two, the temple was a complete mystery to me. The first time I heard of prayer circles was in Elder Boyd K. Packer's book, The Holy Temple. In his preface, he writes about the weekly meetings of the Quorum of Twelve and First Presidency in their council room. And this is in the Salt Lake Temple, right? In his words, he says... Here the brethren wrestle with the weighty matters of the kingdom of God upon the earth, for its management is upon their shoulders. Here, dressed in the proper way for temple ordinance work, they approach the altar in the true order of prayer to seek divine guidance and inspiration as they consider these matters. As you can imagine, this idea of apostles dressed in a special way, praying in a special way around an altar was very exciting to me. Sometime later, I read Richard Holsoffel's Women in Nauvoo book, in which he quotes Bathsheba Smith's memory of being a part of prayer circles in the early 1840s. Once when speaking in one of our general fast meetings, Joseph Smith said that we did not know how to pray to have our prayers answered. But when I and my husband had our endowments in February 1844, Joseph Smith presiding, He taught us the true order of prayer. I met many times with Brother Joseph and others who had received their endowments in company with my husband in an upper room dedicated for that purpose and prayed with them repeatedly in those meetings. Isn't that cool? I think that's one of my favorite memories of the early Nauvoo endowment. There were two kinds of prayer circles in the 19th and 20th centuries. The first were prayer circles organized around an apostle. You might be invited to be part of John Taylor's prayer circle or Wilfred Woodruff's prayer circle. And each of these prayer circles met at a different time in the week in the Salt Lake Temple. By the end of the 1920s, these had become a little controversial and the church cut down on them. And of course, the reason was that only a small group of very privileged saints could be part of an apostolic prayer circle. The vast majority were deprived of this opportunity. Plus, by the late 1920s, temple work was very available in the Salt Lake Temple. James Talmadge made the point that early on, when the Salt Lake Temple was completed, endowments were only performed a few times in the week. But by the time the 1920s had rolled around, um, several endowments were performed each day of the week. The second type of prayer circles were held in prayer rooms in local chapels or tabernacles. 
and were run by the bishop or stake president. It was in these meetings people prayed for their specific ward needs and consecrated oil for the blessing of the sick. So I'm going to share a little bit of a fun story, personal story. Back in May of 2010, I, I decided to surprise Chris for his 20th birthday and took him on a day trip to visit old ward buildings. And I created a list of ward houses that historically had a dedicated room. It was typically in the upper portion of the building for prayer circles. I was a bit silly. I put together a tiny suitcase with a notebook and a compass, a set of walkie-talkies, a pocket knife. I think there was a slinky in there and a map with our goal destinations. And we traveled from Logan to Salt Lake and from Salt Lake through Provo and and, uh, over to Manti. And a lot of these buildings we visited at the time were still operating ward houses. At least one in Provo was a private school building. And it was a really memorable experience. On a separate occasion, we visited the Clarkston Ward House. It was just north of Logan, where the photographs of generation of prayer circle participants hung on the walls just outside the chapel. We didn't get into the room, but a woman practicing the organ in the chapel guessed what we were looking for. And uh, she was kind enough to walk us over and point out where these prayer circles were once held. That Clarkston Chapel is incredible. I- I remember those rosters. Really need to see that. So in Clarkston, this is part of a living memory nearly 50 years later. That was awesome. The next summer, Christine and I were working in Nauvoo for Community of Christ Joseph Smith Historic Site. And the manager of the Willard Richards Inn, now a very good friend, allowed us to stay the night in the room that they believed was used for holding the Nauvoo Prayer Circle in the 1840s. And that was an awesome experience. It sure was. You know, sadly, we were never able to visit a prayer circle room still set up as it was at the time the prayer circles were occurring. Uh, But there is this wonderful discussion of one young girl's visit to a prayer room in Rodello Hunter's memoir. The memoir is entitled A Daughter of Zion. And Rodello grew up with her grandfather who went to the circle meetings on Fast Sunday once a month. She desperately wanted to know what was going on in these secretive meetings. So when her friend was going to the chapel with the keys to the various room, you know, she had keys. She could get into any of the rooms throughout the chapel. She was excited to accompany her. And, uh, and this is what she wrote about that experience. Very small and disappointingly square. It still had to be the circle room. There was a low, velvet-covered pulpit pushed against one wall. I knew without being told that one was meant to kneel before such a low pulpit. There was nothing else in the room except some cupboards, which held old songbooks and dusty ledgers and a washbasin. There were no chairs, only low built-in benches that went around three sides of the room. It could not have seated more than ten or twelve people. The walls, benches, and cupboards were painted a very pale gray. There was a light bulb dangling from a wire in the ceiling, and the long slit of window was curtained in plain gray percale. I was certain this was the circle room, but it gave little clue of its function. What I love about this memoir is it shows us how prayer circles functioned before the church had built so many temples. Instead of referring to her grandfather's robes as temple clothes, she even calls them circle clothes. Prayer circles were the essential way many Latter-day Saints in the 19th century experienced the temple. So what were these meetings like? Merrill Melvin Martin was a member of Provo Third Ward Prayer Circle in the 1960s. He was interviewed as a part of the Provo North Stake Oral History Project in 1974, and this is what he said. That was a tremendous experience, a thrilling experience every Sunday morning that I'll never forget. We had a room on the second floor of the old Third Ward that was set apart and dedicated for that prayer circle room and was never used other than that half hour on Sunday morning. We'd meet upstairs in the adjoining room that was called the Elders Room. We'd meet there for 15 or 20 minutes and have an opening song and prayer. 
and one of us would bear our testimony. The bishop would preside and conduct the meeting, and then we'd go in the prayer room and close the door and, I believe, lock it. We had a locker inside that room. We'd take our temple clothes out and dress in our temple clothes, kneel in a circle, and have a word of prayer. As I said, it was a thrilling experience, one that greatly enhanced my testimony and strengthened my testimony. We used to leave our temple clothes at the chapel in the prayer room, and as we made our plans to go to the temple once or twice a month, our temple district was Salt Lake. We would have to anticipate this in advance. I suppose this was always an item on the agenda with the bishop. Now, brethren, are you going to the temple? Be sure and take your clothes home with you. In 1978, the First Presidency sent out a letter to stake presidents and bishops announcing an end to the prayer circles outside of those held as a part of the endowment ceremony. Spencer W. Kimball explained the decision based on an, quote, increasing number of requests for such prayer circles viewed in light of the rapid growth of the church, and that many of these circles were being held in the temple on Sundays and, quote, taking participants away from their families and other church responsibilities. He acknowledged the value of these prayer circles in developing spirituality, commitment, and unity and recommended that stake leaders attend the temple together and participate in the prayer circles there. This is really important because it shows that the prayer circle had become largely associated with leadership. Right, and it's just as important to remember that prayer circles continued among general authorities, including weekly prayer circles for members of the First Presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve. You know, I think one of the most important aspects of these prayer circles was that they brought temple worship to people far away from the temple. When prayer rooms were built in 19th century Arizona, they often served both as a place to hold a prayer circle, but also to perform sealings until a couple could travel to a temple to have the ordinance redone. I think President Hinckley's revelation of many temples is very similar to the idea of building prayer rooms and remote chapels. Because we want to cover the experience of members of other restoration churches, and, and we'll do this throughout the podcast, We should acknowledge that the prayer circles were practiced in other communities. An anonymous book called Further Light and Knowledge, circulating among some Latter-day Saints in the 1990s, advocated for people to pray in this manner on their own. The true and living Church of Jesus Christ of Saints of the Last Days actually started from men and women who were eventually excommunicated for meeting in their own prayer circles in the early 1990s. Right, and it was also at this time that the Apostolic United Brethren began to organize their own prayer circle meetings. Right. You know, one of the questions I have, particularly as we're working on this episode, are prayer circles folklore? These prayer circles were a major moment in the development of LDS ritual. They were an official part of the faith. So that doesn't sound like folklore. But the local traditions involved in prayer circles, where they were performed, who should participate, awards specifically building a room. Remember, early chapels are vernacular architecture. They are built from the community, and they are designing the space. People keep their clothes in the locker at the chapel. All of this is a major part of lived or what folklore is called vernacular religion. Yeah, and if we wanted to explore the nature of LDS ritual more generally, and we'll do that throughout the podcast, I also wanted to say that you know the undefined features of a ritual, like the prayer circle or other temple rituals, have no official interpretation, and this requires the individual to explore and seek personal revelation. These personal interpretations, and of course the end result of that exercise and meaning-making, is an interesting example of vernacular folk religion as well. That is that the beliefs about what is unfolding in a prayer circle cannot be confined within the limits of official discourse. For Chris and I, and others interested in the history of prayer circles, there's also something about the folkloric nature of mystery and esotericism in and of itself that drives us to imaginatively reconstruct the sacred and unreachable past. Certainly, our legend trip or pilgrimage to these sites was deeply rooted in folklore. The same is true of Rodello Hunter's curiosity surrounding the secretive world of the circle. This next week on Tuesday, we'll be talking about visions of unborn spirits to their parents. Sometimes we call it pre-birth experiences. 
And on Thursday, we'll be discussing contemporary legends about Ted Bundy seeking his victims among Latter-day Saints, including BYU students. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week. See you then.